Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long ago. That's a poem from long ago by Christina Rossetti. And judging by the weather here in the Northeast, everything old is new again. We're getting clobbered by another snowstorm, and they tell us that much more is on the way. And yet, lots of folks are being surprised and delighted by the sight and even the sound of this beautiful creature. Cyalia. Cyalis, the eastern bluebird. Good morning and welcome to our show, number 512. From our Talking Birds email bag, we got a bluebird note from our old pal Todd Foreman. He says, hi, Ray, now that the snow is piled deep on our Marshfield Hills lawn, the birds have been flocking to our feeder and heated bird bath from the Bird Watchers General Store. For the first time in my 40 years living here, we have a cluster of fat, active bluebirds. I wonder how we got so lucky and what can I do to keep them around every season well thank you todd for the note that's a question we might normally pose to our bird feeding expert mike o'connor but then we remembered that the title of mike's latest book is why do bluebirds hate me mike does all the right things but he apparently just doesn't have the right spot for bluebirds but todd it sounds like you're already doing something right you know, it surprises a lot of people to learn that some populations of bluebirds, like their cousins, the American robins, do stay up north all winter long, feeding on berries and seeds and such in the bleak midwinter. One of the things that's highly recommended for attracting bluebirds, works for robins too, is to offer them mealworms. Pretty easy to obtain at bird feeding stores like Mike's or online, or you can grow your own as some folks do. It's actually the larva of the darkling beetle. One caveat, though, the marvelous writer and bird artist Julie Zikafus, who studied and written a lot about bluebirds, warns against feeding too many mealworms because they apparently can cause health problems for the birds. Mealworms are a good high-fat supplement in freezing weather. But she recommends no more than 10 worms per day per bird once a day. And only in the winter, bluebirds can obtain natural food in the spring and summer and fall. And of course, one way to keep bluebirds around is to provide nesting opportunities for them. They do require wide open spaces for that. Big fields where the nesting boxes can be spread out and well away from trees and buildings. Lots of info online about how to create nesting habitat for bluebirds. And, of course, people creating what are known as bluebird trails 
have, in effect, brought bluebirds back from near extinction. They were pretty wiped out uh, thanks to starlings and house sparrows and other problems, insecticides. But uh, humans have done something good uh, regarding bluebirds. Also from the Talking Birds email bag, our friend and uh, recent mystery bird winner, Daniel from out in Oklahoma, writes, Ray, I wanted to thank you and Droll Yankees for the feeder. I've had it out a week and already have some nice birds. Northern cardinals have been eating seed underneath it, as have dark-eyed juncos, northern mockingbirds, and blue jays. I just had a red-shouldered hawk across the street while I was outside taking pictures of the American goldfinches that just started coming. I have tufted titmice, Harris's sparrows, white-crowned sparrows, Eurasian collared doves, eastern bluebirds, and some woodpeckers. So hopefully some of those visit soon as well. We have a lot of birds out here at our Talking Birds garden, by the way. Our man Mark was just out there counting birds by hand. He says he got a total of 28 individual birds there. However, he was wearing mittens at the time, so we're not exactly sure how, how, <laughs> how he did that. Ron King from down in Plymouth, Massachusetts Way, checked in with us on Facebook on the subject of bluebirds, saying, I can't believe we had... Two pair of bluebirds under our feeder today. Never knew they could be here in the winter, but Audubon says they can. Nice surprise. Thank you, Ron. Yes, they certainly are out there. By the way, we've also read some stories recently about why bluebirds would want to risk starvation by staying in the frigid north in the winter. The speculation centers on the idea that they do it so that they might be first to claim nesting cavities in the spring. I guess that makes sense. So all the more reason for you to put up some bluebird boxes now if you have a habitat where they can be placed properly. And this might be a good time to get working on it. Nothing like a nice indoor project to get you through the bleak midwinter. Well, we at Talking Birds got a big thrill yesterday. And we'd like to offer a big thank you to Scott Simon and his team at National Public Radio's Weekend Edition Saturday for hosting us on their nationally syndicated NPR show yesterday morning, February 7th. Gave us a chance to spread the word about birds and our show to folks listening on hundreds of radio stations all over the country and beyond. And we'd like to invite Talking Birds listeners to check out the conversation by going to the npr.org website and looking for Weekend Edition Saturday. Or, not sure if we have it up there yet, but we will shortly go to our Talking Birds Facebook page and click on the link that is there, or will be, uh, very shortly. Extra, extra, read all about it. Speaking of Facebook, here are some of the stories, pictures, and videos we recommend you check out this week on our Talking Birds Facebook page. The bird at the front of a V formation has a way harder job than the rest of the flock. So who takes the helm? A new study reported in Science Magazine gives us a clue, and we have it for you right there on our page. A couple in the UK who do not consider themselves birders nevertheless find themselves consumed with photographing wildlife in their backyard. Check it out. Amazing stuff there. You can pick out your favorite image. Bald eagles are nesting in New York City. On a small spit of land off Staten Island, to be exact, 
we have the link to a pretty fascinating story there. And there's a happy ending for some of the birds on the San Francisco coast who were found covered recently in an unidentified goo. Those are some of the stories and pictures and videos awaiting your perusal this week on our Talking Birds Facebook page. If you're not a Facebook fan, by the way, you can find those stories through an online search. Now, Talking Birds listeners, we have a question for you. We're looking for some input here. The question is, should we offer some Talking Birds swag, some merchandise, some customized hats or shirts or mugs or tote bags, you know, maybe a sharp-looking baseball cap with the Talking Birds logo proudly emblazoned on the crown, maybe a crisp T-shirt with the Talking Birds logo announcing your arrival. Please let us know. Send us an email or check in with us on Facebook or Twitter. We've already heard from a bunch of folks on Facebook saying they'd like to get a hold of some Talking Birds stuff. So please let us know what you think is the world. And are you ready for Talking Birds swag? Give us a holler and let us know. Our seamstresses are standing by. I'm just looking at Jesse here. He's got this very cool Patriots knit cap. I mean, maybe we should go that way. That, that, that's pretty hot. Got the Tom Brady look on there. Kinda. Yeah, got the Talking Birds logo right on there. <laughs> Is that the Talking Birds logo? Still I made mean, c- custom for this show. <laughs> yeah. Still to come on our show today with snow on the way again here in the North Country. We'll revisit the Talking Birds Science Corner and try to answer the questions of uh, the question, do birds really eat more food when a snowstorm is on the way? Also on the show today, as always, we'll give away a fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders, in our Mystery Bird Contest. Plus, Mike is back and ready to answer a listener's question that's not about attracting birds this time, but rather how to prevent pigeons from perambulating on the patio. And up next, we'll learn some surprising things about a favorite winter visitor. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. If you've seen one blue jay, you've pretty much seen them all. There's not a lot of difference between a Cyanocita cristata that you might see in Rhode Island and one you might observe in Nebraska or Texas or Minnesota or Florida. And the same is true of many bird species. But when it comes to Junco hyernalis, it's definitely not true. Here in New England this past week, a mass bird poster wondered what kind of strange Junco hybrids he was seeing at his backyard feeders. It turns out they probably weren't hybrids at all, but maybe just a color variation, or even an intergrade between a couple of the numerous types of dark-eyed Juncos. There are at least six subspecies or distinct populations of this bird in North America. Moving from west to east, there's the Oregon dark-eyed junco with its dark sooty hood, reddish back, and pinkish-brown flanks. Then the pink-sided with extensive pinkish flanks and black lores, the part between the bill and the eyes. Then the rather misnamed white-winged, notable for its pale white wing bars and the slate-colored dark-eyed junco, with colors ranging from pale brown to dark gray that's actually found all across the continent. Then heading back west again, two more, the gray-headed and the red-backed, both found mostly in the extreme southwest. 
All of the dark-eyed juncos are slender, ground-feeding sparrows with flashing white tail feathers that nest in coniferous woods and flock together in open woods and clearings like backyards in winter. The dark-eyed junco is one of the most common birds in North America, with recent estimates of its total population at about 630 million individuals. Here are a couple of examples of the songs produced by dark-eyed juncos. First from the Oregon race. And then from the slate-colored race. One species, lots of variations. When it comes to dark-eyed juncos, one thing's for sure. If you've seen one, you haven't seen them all. The Dark-Eyed Junco. Today's Talkin' Birds featured Feathered Friend. Thanks again for being with us here on our show, number 512. Hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, let us know how we're doing on the show by email, too, at ray at talkinbirds.com. Coming up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Public ferry service to the Boston Harbor Islands has ended for the season, but you can still visit the beautiful Boston Harbor Islands peninsulas open year-round. World's End in Hingham, Deer Island in Winthrop, Webb Memorial Park in Weymouth, and Nut Island in Quincy. They're connected to the mainland and accessible by car, offering stunning views of Boston Harbor and its islands, plus birding, hiking, biking, and cross-country skiing. Enjoy your national park all year long. For more information, please visit bostonharborislands.org. Here on Talking Birds Now, a message from our friends at Ducks Unlimited. Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been a world leader in wetlands conservation, ensuring safe passage for nature's most beautiful creations, protection against flooding, and sanctuary for the human soul. If we don't want to grow old in a world without wild places, we must speak up, we must step up, so that we may fill the skies for generations to come. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. If you're not hearing us live, by the way, just a reminder that uh, you can hear us live with an Internet connection on any device anywhere on the planet. We're streaming live every week. Just go to our TalkingBirds.com website to see how to do that. It's pretty easy. Our Mystery Bird Contest, you're eligible if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. Here's how it works. We describe a bird, give some clues, play the song or call of the bird, and invite you to call in, tell us what that bird is, or take a guess. Now, if no correct answer is received, we'll do a drawing from among those nearly correct answers, so we'll have a winner anyhow. Our prize is another of the beautiful brand new Droll Yankees feeders. This is the CC12 FM Onyx Clever Clean Finch Magnet. This thing pulls those birds in there just like a big, heavy magnet. The Finch Magnet. <laughs> what word was he going to use to substitute for magnet? Magnet. All right, here's the sound of our mystery bird. Our number, by the way, and we urge you to call early in the process. We're already kind of behind time this morning. Is 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. 
Our mystery bird is a winter visitor to the lower 48 from Arctic breeding grounds. It has a pale brown streaky body with dark wings and tail, two white wing bars on each wing, and a pink wash across the chest. It will readily come to backyard feeders in search of thistle seed. It'll go to that finch magnet for sure. Author Pete Dunn describes this small finch as an effervescent pipsqueak with a small goatee and a red beret. It's a pretty cool little bird. Tell us what it is or take your guess at 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900, and be the first to do so and win that beautiful Onyx Clever Clean 12-inch Finch Magnet from Troll Yankees. Meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor from the famous Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod. Preventing pigeons from perambulating on your patio is our subject today. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. There's a crisis facing us today that reaches far beyond borders or boundaries. It's our planet, and it's in trouble. Scientists estimate that climate change will increasingly alter our planet, and many of our land and water resources will be at risk. Without them, we could lose many of the natural habitats that support life on Earth. Not only will numerous plant and animal species disappear, but the quality of life for all of us, will never be the same. What scientists haven't calculated is the power of the human will to work together to save the future of our natural world and all of its inhabitants. If you're ready to make a difference that lasts, to help protect nature and preserve life, visit the Nature Conservancy at nature.org today. That's nature.org today. All right, we're about to answer another question, or Mike is. Here, let's ask Mike. Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning to you, Ray. This one says, Mike, I know you usually answer questions about attracting birds, but how about repelling birds that we don't want around? I have nothing against pigeons, but I don't like them congregating on my deck, as they're doing here on the third floor of my condo building. Is there a way to get rid of them and keep them from coming back? I've heard that plastic owls don't work. That's from Sandy, poisoning pigeons in the park up in uh, North Weymouth. <laughs> no, she's not. Oh, really poor Sandy. <laughs> oh, pigeons, huh? Pigeons mm. are tough because, you know, right, plastic owls, rubber snakes, none of those things are going to work. Because remember, they, they live in the city where there's gunshots going off the whole time and <laughs> trucks driving by. First of all, you're going try to try to find out what's attracting them. You know, and I tell people who have feeders that the feeders are going to have to be taken down for a while. It sounds like, Sandy, you're on the third floor. You don't have feeders. So you're going to try to have to figure out what's, what the draw is. Now, a lot of times they just go to places to either roost or what they call loafing, where they go during the day and they just sit and kind of rest for a while, kind of digest their food. You know, if that's the case, the only thing that actually works are physical barriers. Usually they go up on like an eave or a shelf. And people put berries up there. They have those things with the spikes on them. Mm. Um, or they just they close it up altogether. It's a, a deck is really a, a, a tough one. Um, you know, tie a dog out there or something. Usually, like I said, they go up in these little, um, you know, under an eave or something, and then they put physical barriers in there, and those work great. A whole deck, I don't know. I, I don't really have a, a, a great idea. You could try what they call the um, scarecrow. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you can do this in the winter time, but it's um, 
who works on motion, and then it squirts water when something crosses this, uh, oh. this little... And then people use that for geese and stuff when they get up on their lawn, they walk in, or herons when they go to a fish pond. They, they walk in front of it and start squirting water. You know, pretty high-pressure water. So you could try that, but you can't use it in the wintertime. I think it's, but harassment is probably the best thing. And if you, make, if you can find out what's drawing them in the first place and you get rid of that, or um, just harass the heck out of them. Because they, as we know, pigeons like to return to the same place and they come back to the same place where they're really comfortable. you got to make them uncomfortable. There you go. Or you could just take down your deck, Sandy. That would be another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, yeah, Mike. That would be so hard. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, Ray. Okay. Gotcha. Take care. Send your question in to Mike. It's easy to do. Email it to Ray at TalkingBirds.com. No G in talking. Mike will answer your question as only he can. And we will send you as a thank you gift a signed copy of Mike's latest book. Yeah, that one about the bluebirds. Why do bluebirds hate me? Yeah, Mike can't seem to get bluebirds to come to his yard, but he knows how to get them to your yard. So uh, send your question in for Mike. And meanwhile, we're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest trying to identify this mystery bird. The number to call to do it is 781-837-4900. Our mystery bird is a winter visitor to the lower 48 from Arctic breeding grounds. It has a pale brown streaky body with dark wings and tail, two white wing bars in each wing, and a pink wash across the chest. It'll readily come to backyard feeders in search of thistle seed. Author Pete Dunn describes this small finch as an effervescent pipsqueak with a small goatee and a red beret. I would think that's probably the only bird that fits that description, so that may give us a leg up to identifying this mystery bird. Our prize is the Droll Yankees' new Onyx Clever Clean 12-inch finch magnet. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. And we go uh, to Colin, who's somewhere in Ontario, Canada. Good morning, Colin. Good morning. Good morning. We're doing, we we seem to have uh, got together a group of listeners there in Ontario, which we're happy to hear about. Yeah, we're multiplying. What can I say? (laughs) Well, it is the midwinter, you know. So what's going on in uh, Ontario? How'd you find our show, Colin? Uh, Well, I found it on the Internet. Okay. The old Internet. Always... I've been listening to your podcast for a while and uh, started listening to it live and it's paying off, I guess. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll uh, see about that if you can uh, identify our mystery bird. Uh, what do you yeah, say it is? Great. What do you say it is? Uh, I think it's the common red pole. I knew you were going to say that and I knew you were going to get it right. Common red pole. Exactly right, yeah. You must have a pretty good area for red poles up there, do you? We do, but you know what? I've just never seen one myself. I'm pretty new to the whole birding thing. Ah, okay. Well, keep an eye out. Uh, they ought to be uh, up there somewhere. It's 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 interesting that we don't uh, see them all that much, but uh, the experts who go around counting them say they their numbers are estimated in the tens of millions. So surely one uh, column will show up in your backyard sometime. If I'm lucky, yeah. <laughs> all right, let us know, okay? Okay. All right, thank you, Colin. Colin up there in Ontario, Canada. Oh, I forgot to ask him about what part of Ontario, but we'll we'll uh, try to find out. Common red poles, what an amazing uh, bird. Well, we need Colin to call us back anyway. Looks like we lost him there, so Colin, call us back and uh, tell us exactly where you are up there in Ontario. Yeah, common red poles from way up north, and this is really amazing. 
common red poles can survive temperatures of minus 65 degrees Fahrenheit. They did a study in Alaska that said that red poles put on about 31% more plumage in November than in July. So they're really packing on that insulation. During winter, some common red poles are known to tunnel into the snow to stay warm during the night. Tunnels that may be a foot long and four inches under the insulating snow. It's one of the many, many, many amazing things that birds can do. I think we have time to go where we had planned to go this morning, and that is uh, now with all this snow coming to this archived visit to the Talking Birds Science Corner. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. Well, here in the Northeast, snow still threatens to fall. Recently, Talking Birds listener Kevin O'Donnell sent us a note saying, Don't birds feed heavily before a snowstorm? That is the pattern that I have often witnessed. Well, for an answer to that question, we turn to a blog post by our own Mike O'Connor from the Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod, in which he said in part, Birds do, in fact, eat more when a storm is coming. Unlike humans who only eat extra food when there's a party or on the weekend or during the week, birds' feeding habits are based on need. Pre-migration is one time when birds will pack on the extra pounds. Pre-bad weather is another. For years, researchers have casually observed birds eating extra food before storms arrived, but they couldn't really prove if it was a fact or merely a coincidence. So researchers at Western University went out and built something called a hypobaric climatic wind tunnel. By controlling temperature and the amount of light, scientists were able to duplicate winter conditions for the birds inside that tunnel. Under normal conditions, the birds would wake up each morning, preen a bit, stretch a little, and maybe check to see how their stocks performed in the overnight markets before heading out for breakfast. But when scientists lowered the air pressure inside the tunnel, the birds would skip their usual morning routine and immediately start searching for food. Low pressure means storms, and storms could force birds to hunker down for hours or even days. So they get out and stock up while the getting is good, like we hysterically rush out for milk and bread the second we see a single snowflake. It's the same thing. Thanks for the question, Kevin. And Mike, thanks for the answer. And that's today's visit to the Talkin' Birds Science Corner. Hey, if you happen to be here in Massachusetts, here's a pretty interesting sighting. Just posted this morning on MassBird from Bonnie up in Merrimack, Massachusetts. She says, Bob was on his way to Plum Island yesterday, that would be Saturday, and stopped below the Plum Island Bridge to see what another bird was looking at through a scope. It turned out that he was looking at... I'm going to play the sound of this bird... He was looking at an eastern meadowlark. They both got great looks at it. She says it was feeding in the marsh grass not far from the parking area below the bridge. That's pretty amazing. This is a bird that, of course, has been declining dramatically as a grassland bird. So, I don't know, maybe that's a hopeful sign and certainly an unusual one to see an eastern meadowlark there in February. We are almost out of time for our show this morning. However, we have time for a little music from Panama. 
We're not just playing this because it's nice and warm down there and really cold up there, but because we're going there next month. As a matter of fact, on the 22nd of March, we'll be broadcasting Talking Birds live from the Canopy Tower there in Panama. A fantastic place for birds. We're going to be cruising around that area with the the Panama Canopy family. So we'll be going to the Canopy Tower and to the Canopy Lodge and to the Canopy Camp, seeing lots of birds and, of course, reporting them here on our show and doing our program live. Hope you'll make a note of that on Sunday, March 22nd, live from Panama. We're making some other trips around as well. And uh, on May 24th, we'll be in Maine at the L.L. Bean flagship store. What an amazing place that is. We'll be broadcasting from there on May 24th. Later this month, we'll pin down the date next week. We'll be broadcasting live from the amazing Wilson Farm in Lexington, Massachusetts. And more events like that coming up. If you'd like to have us uh, do a remote broadcast where you are. Let us know. Maybe we can work that out as well. That's our show for this morning. Hope you do well with the snow if you're up here in the north. The executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield. Our engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information.